What I'm actually going to talk about today is the characters around the story of Jesus. And don't worry, I'm not going to be coming up with a new angle on Christmas. These are the people that play a big part. And I wanted to talk about the kind of picture that they saw. Now, as we read the Christmas story, as it's recorded in the books of Matthew and Luke, we see these characters. They're the shepherds, the wise men, King Herod and Joseph. But Matthew's account of Christmas, it starts with a long list of names. So we we tend to think of genealogies in the Bible as the really boring bits of the Bible. But it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Which means this, this long list of names that we read in Matthew 1, son of and son of, it's really important because it shows the family tree and where Jesus has come from. And if you look at his family, there's a load of wrong'uns in there. I mean, there's criminals, there's thieves, liars, there's sexually immoral, but there's also some really ordinary people as well. And I think it's great because it shows that it doesn't matter what kind of background we've been raised in, what kind of family we've come from, there's always a place for us in the family of God. All through the Bible, God uses and includes the most unlikely, unworthy people for his plan for salvation. And we see it right from Adam and Eve to the disciples. We see people making mistakes, doing things in their own strength, just mess up after mess up. In, in other words, he uses ordinary people like me and you. But it's ordinary people being used by an extraordinary God. Ordinary people from every walk of life. So let's start with the wise men. Matthew 2 verse 1 and 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men came from the east to Jerusalem to saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Then in verse 9 it says, The star that they had seen went when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, these guys, they study the skies tirelessly. And as soon as God pops that star in the sky, they know instantly that it's a sign from God and they know to follow it, to lead them to the Son of God. You know, there's times when we, we look at what God's doing, you know, and we just don't understand why. And it's, it's in these moments that our faith is built. Now it says in Proverbs, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So if God's word says that he gives us wisdom and knowledge and understanding, why is it that so many of us don't feel wise? Or why is it so many of us make unwise decisions? The answer is in James. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. That's why it's because when things happen, we don't ask God for, for wisdom. We try and do things in our own strength. But it says God will, not he might, he will give to all, not some, to all, without reproach. 
when the star appeared in the sky, the smart thing, you know, the worldly smart thing would have been just to add it to their charts, but they don't. The faith that they have and the wisdom given to them by God, they set off on a journey and they follow the star all the way to Bethlehem and they see a baby laying in a pile of hay. There must have been points where they thought, hey lads, I think we got this one wrong. This isn't really how I see the prophecies panning out. But they don't, do they? What do they do? It says that they fall down on their knees and they offer gifts as a sign of worship. There's a big difference between being smart and being wise, especially when the wisdom is given by God. You know, before I tell this story, just want to let you know, my wife is actually really wise. When it comes to things happening, she's always the first to be like, oh, let's pray about it, or let's read, what, see what God says. However, <laughs> I remember a few years ago, my wife was looking to go to Barcelona with one of her mates, and um, I said, look, don't worry, I found you a lovely hotel right in the centre, and it's bed and breakfast. And my wife said, oh, that's great, but what do we do with our luggage in the daytime? I said, what do you mean? Which is like, no, no, I get like we get the bed of a nighttime and then we get the breakfast in the morning, but what do we do in the daytime? I'm like, what do you think they do with your room in the daytime? She was like, well, don't business people have meetings in hotels? I'm like, not in the rooms. Like. But my wife is not alone. I remember sitting there, sitting there in a romantic restaurant out in the Caribbean just before I was about to propose and I said to my wife, oh, do you know what you're having for dessert? I'm going to have the banana meringue. She's like, the what? And I acted like my wife was silly. I was like, the meringue. She looked at me and said, it says meringue, pleb. <laughs> she still married me. As I said, there's a big difference between being wise and being worldly smart. How many times have we seen a sign given by God and our own intelligence convinces us that it's not? Or how many times have we followed a sign by God only to get to the end of the road and see the picture it painted and we're like, oh, that's not how I would have done things and we kind of chalk it down to experience and we walk away. What looks like wisdom in God looks like foolishness in this world. I've said this, this story before, but a few years ago, I switched jobs and we got paid and thank God we had enough money to clear all of the bills, but we had literally 10% of our money left over. Now, the smart thing, the wise thing in the world would have been just to really cut back and try and stretch that money, which realistically we was never going to be able to do. But it's in these moments that you have faith and wisdom given to you by God allows you to read God's word and believe what he says. You know, we read things like, I'll never leave nor forsake you. That you're worth more to me than the birds and the flowers and I'll provide for them, so I'll provide for you. So the wisdom given to us by God allowed us to to really have that faith. Now, if you've got a little bit of money and it's meant to last you, giving it away is mental. It makes no sense. But the wisdom given to us by God, that's what we did. And to cut a long story short, there's not a single day that went past in that month that we didn't have food on the table. There's not a single day that we didn't have petrol. God started showing up in the most random ways. And it's in these moments where the wisdom given to us by God allows our faith to be built. How about the shepherds? Luke tells their story. They're sitting in the fields watching their sheep and the angels appear to them and announce the news of the arrival of Jesus. Verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. And when they saw it, they, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all that heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, these guys are the most lonely, looked down upon people in them times. I mean, why are they even included? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense to reveal the Son of God to people the world considered mattered? You know, the priests, the rich, the powerful, the people of influence, people that people actually listen to. What has a shepherd done to deserve this honour? I mean, let's have it right. What can a shepherd do in their own strength? And the answer is, they've done nothing. And in their own strength, they can't do much. But God doesn't view the shepherds like that. He views the shepherds like us, loved unconditionally, equally. Not what the shepherds can bring to the table. Not that the shepherds are the best speakers, can go out and tell everyone. No, it's because they're loved. And God loves us all equally. And it's the same today. Does Jesus only come to the rich, to the powerful, the people of influence, the people who feel that they've done enough to be called a child of God? No, because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. We're all loved the same. Jesus doesn't have a certain type of group, a certain type of people he sways towards. It says that Jesus came to set free people from every tribe, and every tongue, and every nation. But why? why? Why doesn't Jesus prefer a certain type of the world, or type of people? The answer is in Ephesians. It says, Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of his love for which he loved us. That's why. Nothing that we've done, nothing that we can do, but God being rich in mercy because of his love for us. This is why I love the shepherd, because that's us. You know, that's me. What's a boy from Bermondsey, a boy with a past of lying, of drugs, of selfishness, of depending on myself? What have I ever done to deserve to be saved by Jesus? The answer is I've done nothing but God being rich in mercy has done everything. Now me standing up here is not me paying God back. I can't add to the cross. We can't add to our salvation. But it's freely given to us as a gift. But it's really important that we understand that one, it is a gift. We have been set free. But God wants us to understand that freedom and live in the fullness of that freedom. Understanding this freedom is so important. That's why... There's courses that you can do here at church called the Freed for Purpose course because there's so many of us that don't understand this, this freedom and we get held back from living like we're free. We end up with baggage, with problems, with anxieties, all these worldly problems that stop us from actually living like we're free. When Jesus breaks into our life, sometimes it will take time to change a lifetime of thinking and acting in a certain way. I remember reading a book by Dave a few years ago called A Battle for the Mind, and he he uses his example of a tractor going down the same path every day, and it's embedded in the floor. Now, to make new tracks, it's going to take time 
and effort. It's the same with our minds. Even around this time of year, people say to me, Frank, what do you think when you think of Christmas? And my immediate reaction is, oh, it's all about Jesus, the birth of Jesus. It helps me reflect on what Jesus has done. And that's true, I stand by that. But there's this random little voice in the back of my mind that when people say, what do you think about when you think about Christmas? It says, home alone and pigs in blankets. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's why I have to renew my mind daily. And I do that from reading the word of God. So, we've looked at the, the wealthy and the wise. We've looked at the poor and the uneducated. Now, like every good story, there's got to be a bad guy. There has to be a villain. Now, King Herod, he understood that if all the prophecies were true, there would always be one greater than him. And it didn't matter how much he owned, how much he controlled, how much power he had, there would always be one greater than him. And his name wasn't Herod, it was Jesus. And instead of accepting this and kneeling before the, the only one who can make him right before God, what does he do? He tries to kill Jesus. When he realises the wise men weren't going back there, he orders all boys under the age of two to be killed in that area. So Mary and Joseph have to get Jesus and they flee to Egypt. Now, we already read in Matthew 2 where the wise men asked Herod, where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. So straight away we see this clash between Jesus' defiant kingship and the self-serving human authority. Not knowing that there's only one king. That's, that's the thing we have to remember. There's only one king that can sit on the throne of our lives. We either decide that it's Jesus or we try and make it us. When we read about Herod, it's so easy to see how cold and how brutal he was and what he was prepared to do to keep himself king, not knowing God's overwhelming love for him that he'd send his only son into the world to die for his sins, our sins and everyone else's. So instead of accepting that love, what does he do? He rebels against God. Now, times have changed. We live in a much different world than, than what Herod is, but the same rebellion against God exists. It just looks different. You know, the world says, you're going to get what you deserve. You know, nice guys, yeah, they finished last. Carpe diem, come on, seize the day for yourself. Your worth is measured by your stuff. How, what kind of house do you live in? What kind of car do you drive? What clothes do you wear? How many followers you got on YouTube? How many people follow you on Twitter and Instagram? If you've got enough money, you'll buy happiness. You know why? Because you'll buy the stuff that makes you happy. You watch the iPhone adverts. If you ain't got this iPhone, you ain't even got an iPhone. So you go and buy the iPhone. Next year, same advert. If you ain't got this iPhone, you ain't got an iPhone. But that's not what you told me last year when I bought that iPhone. These things make us happy, but they can't keep us happy because they're trying to fill a hole that can only be filled with the love of Jesus. That's why it's always been drip-fed to us. But the picture that the world paints, the one that it wants us to chase after, it doesn't tell us that it comes with loneliness, that it comes with emptiness, it comes with jealousy, and it comes with anxiety. It hides all of that and it just paints this great picture that if we keep going, keep going, keep going, we'll get it and we'll be happy. But God, through his word, paints a different picture. 
He says, no, look, listen, you don't get what you deserve. You get far, far much more than that. In fact, you get to be known and loved by a God who created everything and he knows you by name. I will send my only son to die for you. You don't get what you deserve. No, my mercy is brand new every day. It says in Lamentations 3, 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Good guys, they don't finish last because it's not about us trying to step over each other because that's not how the kingdom works. It says in Matthew 19.30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And our worth is not measured by our stuff. It's not measured by what house we live in, what car we drive, what clothes we wear, how many people know our name and follow us. It says in Mark 8.36, what does it profit a man to gain this world but forfeit his soul? God's plan never involved us being empty, being lonely, being anxious and jealous. No, God's word paints a picture of us being fulfilled in him, being full of the Holy Spirit, being adopted into a family, into a community, being satisfied with a God who created everything, knowing us by name, having a peace which surpasses all understanding. That's the picture that God paints. That's the picture that God wants us to chase after. This world tries to play down how amazing God is, whether it's trying to convince the world that God doesn't exist or trying to convince us that he doesn't work extraordinary things for ordinary people. That's just not what he does, but that's a lie. How many times have you seen a Christian portrayed in a good light in the media? It's always the jealous Christian, the two-faced Christian, the judgmental Christian, the Christian who says he lives in light, but we can all prove he lives in darkness. But away from that, away from the, the films, the media, our lives are meant to reflect the kingdom of God. Whether I stand up here on this stage or I sit around a breakfast table with my wife and kids, my life should reflect the goodness of God. And that's not to say that we're perfect and we don't make mistakes. Because we're human, and we do. I remember, was it October? So a couple of months ago, I'd had the worst week at work. I mean, it was awful. And then on the last day, something happened, just tipped me over the edge. And I got home, and I just spent the whole evening moaning to my wife. Bless her, she just sat there and listened. I was like moaning and moaning. And in the morning, instead of getting up early and spending any time with God, my wife got the kids up, made breakfast, let me have a lay-in. And I got up, and you know when you're so stressed, you actually feel like you're tired. And in the end, I snapped. I shouted at my kids. And then my wife reminded me maybe one too many times that we're late to meet family to go pumpkin picking. <laughs> and I just lost it. I was like, do you think maybe, just maybe, with everything that's going on right now, everything that you know about, my mind might be a bit preoccupied instead of standing in a field in the rain picking bloody pumpkins. <laughs> And my wife was like, look, you know what? I'm just going to call them and say we can't make it. I was like, no, because then that makes me look stupid. <laughs> At some point, yesterday, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I apologize to my wife and kids. But when I look back on that, it's in these moments where I could have stepped back 
and spoke to God about what was going on. And through his word, he would have reminded me things like Peter 5, 5 verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because of his love for you. Or John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that, that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart because I've overcome the world. See, when these things happen, we get a choice. We get to say to God, look, I don't know what's going on right now. I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. Please, just help me. Or you can do it the way I did it. Do it in your own strength until you snap, crash, and burn. Lastly, we're going to look at Joseph. And I love this because I think the word faith in a dictionary should have had Joseph's picture underneath. Because imagine the faith he must have had. Imagine when he receives the news that Mary's going to be carrying the son of, the son of God. He gets home from work. He's like, you all right, sweetheart? Anything happen today? Well, but what does he do? He does exactly what we think he's going to do. He decides to divorce Mary, but out of respect for it, he says he'll do it quietly. Then he's visited by an angel in a dream that says Mary's not lying. She's going to be carrying the son of God. And he responds immediately. It says in Matthew 1.24, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. It's like the rapid, active obedience of a man living for God. Now, there must have been times that it was so hard to have faith. How about when they get to Bethlehem? And there's nowhere for them to stay. And they get offered a stable. It must have been like, hold on. My missus is giving birth to the son of God. I ain't even got anywhere to stay. But like the wise men, he's following a sign. Faith given by God in these moments is where we're built up. We all have these times when we follow a sign. And the picture it leads to doesn't quite look the way that we would have painted it. There's nothing wrong with our eyes. We just didn't paint it. The truth is we get so focused on what's in front of us that we, we don't step back to see the bigger picture, the bigger picture that God has for us. Sometimes God doesn't reveal the whole picture. It's like we get a bit of the jigsaw and we can't quite make it out. But it's in these moments where our faith is built up. This is where our faith is built in who God is. This is where our relationship with God grows deeper. This is where we get to really depend on him. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It doesn't say your word is a light blinding so I can see far into the future. It says a lamp to my feet and a light to my path for us to have faith to take step by step. Can I ask Adrian, I thought he'd gone then, I asked him to come back on stage. In a moment, we're going to worship one more time. But maybe as Christmas approaches, you can identify with one of the characters in the story. Maybe, like the wise men, you need to ask God for wisdom instead of relying on your own knowledge and experience. Maybe, like King Herod, there's a battle in your heart for who's going to be king, and you need to make that decision. Is it going to be Jesus, or are you going to try and make it you? Maybe, maybe like the shepherds, you feel a bit lonely, a bit forgotten, like Christmas is here and you don't quite know your place. But remember, 
God loves you. The God who created everything knows you by name. He's put you in a church where people want to be family with you. Not because of what you bring to the table. It's because you're special to God. Or maybe like Joseph, you need to ask God for such faith because there's things going on right now and you can't see that God's got a plan in it all. It says in the Bible, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. As you read and sing and trust in the word over your own feelings, faith will grow in our hearts. God will give you eyes to see this, your situation. Remember, we're ordinary people, but because what Jesus has done on the cross, because God himself is at the center of these stories, because God came to earth as a baby, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, experienced an awful death, not just physically awful, but he took the sins that we've committed he experienced separation from the Father so we wouldn't have to. But death couldn't hold him back. On the third day, Jesus rose again, defeating death, defeating sins that we've committed so we'd be set free and know, know this freedom, live in this freedom that gives us hope, gives us joy, builds our faith and gives us peace. Can we stand please? Let's be more like the ordinary people in the Bible and trust in an extraordinary God. Even when it don't always make sense. Because remember, one day it will. One day we're going to stand face to face with Jesus and everything will make sense. But for now, let's just use these stories to give us hope. To show us that God has got a bigger picture and a better plan in mind. Because remember, when we live for Him, he will work it out. It doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter how we speak, how we dress, what we own. God loves us individually, collectively. We've been saved for a reason, saved for a purpose. Let's sing.